Hey guys, Joe Miles here with ICO Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, boys, welcome back. Episode 41, Mission Whitetail. Got my good buddy Chris Seymour on with us today. Chris is Kansas. Uh, he owns B Outdoors Real Estate. They specialize in hunting property, ag land in Kansas. He also owns Seymour Bucks, an outfitting business. Been doing that a long time. Chris and I met years and years ago. Matthew's Dominant Bucks, became buddies and been hunting with Chris out in Kansas ever since. Chris was on earlier in the year, uh, or maybe last year. It, it was pretty early on Mission Whitetail, probably like ep first 10 episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Good to be back. Good to be back. Yeah, yeah. Good to have you back. And uh, Flint, your son, killed an absolute giant, um, pushing that 200, maybe even over 200. And uh, you just killed a nice one in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, that's right. No, it's, uh, I'm sitting here, I'm looking outside the office, and it's exactly what you experienced last year around the same time, mid-October, cold front. People are excited. It, it, it's been a long, dreadful, hot September and August. Now, I'm so sick of hunting in 90 degree weather. I'm just, I'm so done with it. And then I go down to Oklahoma, it was supposed to be 50s and 70s. No, it changed. It was still 90s. So it was it was brutal. But but it's happening right now. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, we're inside and I need to be out there getting stuff done. But this is this is a magical time of year. You just gotta love it. Cold front makes it better. Yeah, that you know, 90s. I mean, that's all South Carolina. I actually sat this morning, 70 degrees, mosquitoes. Oh, my first morning hunt of the year was this morning. So um Season update on my end, I went up, like, I, I think, you know, I went up to Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Ohio, uh, two things. I, I, I made a post about this earlier in the, in the week, three things I learned on that trip. Uh, have you hunted a bunch of hill country, like big hill country? No, but I'm sure this is going to lead into thermals. And it is. And, and, and I mean, we there's millions of things online about thermals and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, yeah. get into that. But it, this is just a... But no, it's it's a different mindset. Like, people don't understand. Like, if you're hunting hills, it's not flat Kansas part. I mean, and where I'm at, you can encounter some of that, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it, this was... I mean, I've hunted some rolling hills and and hunted some hill country. And, you know, yeah. basically the thermals are a big problem. And, and you just look at it as how water would fall, you know, how water would drain through the valleys. But mm -hmm. I had this thing set up for a perfect southwest sit. But I was nervous because there's two big bluffs on either side of it. And sure enough, I got in there, puffer bottle out, dadgum blowing perfect right where it needs to blow yeah. out, out walks two does she gets directly in front of me and hits a brick wall of my scent she calms down and keeps on feeding um 
but she smelled me. So I pulled out milkweed, dropped it. It blew 10 yards up the, up the hill, just like the wind was supposed to go. And it hit the thermals and did a 180 and shot right back out from under my climbing sticks into the little plot. I mean, it, it was, it was, it was nuts. So, I mean, the moral of the story is if I'm gonna hunt that, it's gonna have to be in the mornings when the thermals are rising or either get on the other side of the plot with the wrong wind and hope the thermals do. I, That's I had a, yeah, I had a spot in Manhattan, Kansas, Flint Hill on each side. And so you either got to hunt on top where it's a true wind, but if you want to get anywhere where those oak draws are, you're going to battle with exactly what you're talking about. And I remember I had a stand figured out on a, a southwest wind or whatever it was, was the wind would go opposite. <laughs> like if yeah. I was on a southwest, I would go hunt it and anticipate it going southeast and it would, and I could get away with it. It just, it's it's definitely different type of mentality of when you go in there and it's tough you know and you, the, the the point is you've got to go during hunting hours you can't go in the middle of the day you got to go during hunting hours and you might yeah. up a hunt during season and figure it out so maybe it's the next year that it works yeah and that's that's every elk hunter's daily report the wind got me and, and, wind. and that's, that's what you're experiencing in the whitetail but I, i'm telling you that the, the way that those, uh, the wind can change. The gusty days are the worst. Like, because when the gust hits, you know, that's when you get your swirl, obviously. And we were actually hunting last night on a hang and hunt. And it was 20 to 40 mile an hour, crazy south winds, front was coming in. And you could just tell every time it gusted up, you'd, you'd watch a leaf go and twirl and then, go this way and and so you're kind of playing with fire but I was like you said I was kind of learning to see what it was really doing if we went out there and rest assured we didn't get what we were after but it was a good we're ready we did the yeah, hanging yeah, yeah. that's, that's it topics a little bit but you know but that's the nice thing about what, how you and I have grown up using whatever tree stand mobile you want you know, you can just go when you got to go and get something hung in a hurry, you know? Yep. No, no, that that's right. The, the other thing that, that I learned, well, I didn't learn, I knew this, but I think it's good to bring up and you will, I'm sure second this, I've got a cell cam in that Valley that doesn't get real good service. Mm -hmm. My pictures come in really weird. Like it'll be seven o'clock at night and I'll be getting seven o'clock at night pictures and then voila, I'll get a 10 a.m. picture from that morning. So, and the reason is the service is so bad. When that happens, you're not getting all your pictures through through text or through email. So I went and pulled, the, I, the main point was going up there to pull the SD card. And yeah. sure, enough, sure enough, that big, I had like three pictures of that big deer. There were two other days he had been there that I did not get one single cell can cell text picture but he was on the sd card yeah no I, I absolutely and i i those cameras man they, they're just such a mind effort on a lot of other scenarios but that's that's definitely one of them and it also is sitting there just draining your battery every time it's searching for those signals you know and you can't get solar deals with the canopy of the leaves this time of year so it's just old school checking cards, I guess, unless you got one of them, uh, 
cameras that can Bluetooth to it if you're in a certain range so you don't have to walk in there. But, but yeah, they, they miss them. They miss them. Even when they got good service, I think you miss them sometimes. And you pull, those, pull those SD cards. Yeah. If you got some yeah. free time or whatever, middle of the day, whatever it may be, pull the SD cards, check them. Um, yeah. And I think that I know we're going to talk about Flint's buck. We're going to talk about um, your buck, but I think that that segues right into kind of the main topic today is, is the great bait debate as well as where, where hunting is headed as far as technology and, and, and that sort of stuff. And you being an outfitter, um, you know, I, I mean, you, you, you get brownie points or, or you get, uh, rewarded i guess maybe that's the wrong word for, for the success your your customers have right so you know it's a it's a fine line and i, I don't want to put words in your mouth but you know you and i've had this this conversation many times about where hunt is, hunting is headed with the bait the cell cams the crossbows on and on and on um so fire away let's hear it straight from chris seymour's mouth <laughs> Well, and we'll talk about Flint's hunts, but, but part of my motivation on that hunt was like, let's, let's go kill another big one just to, to prove that it's becoming less and less of a big deal to, to kill a big deer. You just got to have one to shoot because of the cell cameras, the bait, the crossbows, you know, wh however you want to, to scenario it. But I, you know, Kansas right now, I mean, it's a hot topic. I'm sure you've heard, like, I mean, there's people like they're losing their minds because they just can't, I don't know what it is. They just, they don't care about overall health of the herd. All they care about is I got to be able to shoot a deer over a corn pile or a feeder, you know, and, and maybe the studies, you know, depending on what you believe, I know, you know, you got people that are all over the board with CWD, this is better for the deer. Um, but you, you can't argue with me that all those critters come to sit the same spot, spreading whatever disease, coons, possums, deer, multiple deer, that that's really that great for deer. Uh, but as far as technology, you get that mixed in with it. It just, to me, it's just becoming just like life. Nobody wants to spend time doing anything instead. Instead, it's just uh, instant results, you know, and that's, that's what it's all about. I don't want to spend a week hunting. I want to spend two days and going and kill. So, and to each his own, whichever is legal now per state, but there's no doubt that we, I think a lot of, we've lost our way. I mean, it's the cliche quotes now are, is he daylighting? You know, he, he just showed up, you know, it's just funny. It's like, he just showed up. Is he daylighting? He isn't consistent. It's just like, that's on your pile. <laughs> yeah. Those are the conversations. And then let me show you a picture of this and that. And, and not even, um, just baiting like just cell cams alone like and we we talked about this i think a little bit last time we've lost the surprise factor we expect it because the camera is saying you should expect this at this time and i, I think that again that's taken away from what hunting used to be but and at what point is enough enough if you got 40 acres 
and you got 20 cell cameras on it. <laughs> I mean, like, what's really happening here? You know, it's like, you really want to know where that deer is 24 seven at all times to go in and kill them. And I get it, but it's like, you're definitely flirting with the fair chase when you, when you know, and I don't know what the limit is, but it might be five, 10, 15, 20 cameras, but you know, on, on a small track. And then, I mean, how many people do you know, like there's 15 cell cameras on 20 acres. I mean, I don't know, but it's, it's gotten, it, it needs to be revisited, whatever is right and wrong. I do think if you want to go on a traditional hunt, like old school, Kansas public hunting has gone back to that. There's no baiting. There's no cell cameras. Go hunt and surprise. You know, so I just think, man, that's, that's, that's where you can go get that fixed, but private land hunting, I, I don't know how you're going to win that battle good or bad or however you see it but it's definitely a hot debate right now and i got a feeling the the people with the most money are going to win that, that's how it always goes but i mean you're 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 absolutely right in in the fact that the the cell cams i mean i, I look at myself like i've hunted I mean, t take the take the Ohio trip because I did sit twice in Ohio, one afternoon, one morning, and and take away this morning. I had sat four times. I had sat four times. I had killed my first buck the first time I sat. I got blown up by the landowner the second time because of a bulldozer. He was right beside me working on a food food plot and a bulldozer. The third time I hunted, I saw the buck I was after. I couldn't get him killed. And then the fourth mm -hmm. time I, I, I didn't have, I didn't have luck, but basically two encounters with four-year-olds and, mm -hmm. and that is all because of cell cameras without a doubt. Now I, I had to put them in the right spot and, and, you know, that sort of thing, but yeah. um, crossbows, I'm, I mean, I'm not, I think there's a place for crossbows, right? I, I'm not going to sit here and bash crossbows. You know, I think, youth it, it's a good tool to get them started um although when i was coming up you know we had to get to where we could shoot a rifle right we got to go with dad yeah. and watch dad hunt until we could manage a rifle now yeah. we want our our kids to have it easy i mean i look at jack you know my son i've got all his spots set up and he, he looks at the cell camera and he'll go get in the stand when something's quote unquote daylighted like you say yeah, uh, yeah versus earning it like when we were when we were young um yeah. so and then the, the older guys you know the, the older guys that can't pull bows anymore you know for them to stay in the game they've got a you know they, they don't really have a choice but to use a crossbow so i i can see the youngsters i can see the older guys that that physically can't pull using using a crossbow but but this excuse to use a crossbow to hunt during bow season when you can shoot a hundred yards with, with these things. I mean, it, it's the, the technology and those things is, is it's mind blowing. It is mind blowing. Um, and, and these guys, gun. there's, there's and no the, more bow about it. <laughs> no. And, and, and these it's muzzle loader, right? I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah. it's what muzzle loaders used to be when they had a muzzle loader season. And the, yeah. a lot of these guys are completely capable of pulling a regular bow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and, and to me, like you said, there's a place for it. it. It just, like for Kansas, 
you talk to the game wardens, their rifle season's nothing anymore. It's nothing like it used to be. They're everybody's got a crossbow and they they're hunting a rut, you know, or hunting early season. I mean, they the crossbows if and that's the other problem with non-residents trying to draw tags in Kansas. The crossbow guys absorb all the archery tags. I would say it's got to be like 70% or maybe more. You walk into Walmart or whatever sporting goods store, all you see is crossbow accessories, you know, and then they got this little tiny part for archery. It's it's like they just want to weed it out. Um, and, and again, it goes back to I don't have to practice. Crossbows dialed in, pull the trigger, scope, rifle, whatever. And it, it, it needs its own season. I, I believe they need their own, just like muzzleloader, put, make a season for it. I don't care when it is or just, or just blend it in with the gun seasons. But yes, if you're healthy, you know, and there's just no reason for it. Otherwise, wait for the gun season. Um, but ultimately, you just got to look at, you know, the, the future. Nobody, everybody cares about what's now. And it's like, you, if you want to continue to have great bucks and stuff, you can't be just continually to make it easier and easier to kill these big deer. I mean, a corn pile, a cell cam, and a crossbow in Kansas. I don't know how you can't shoot your target buck unless you just haven't done the proper setup, you know? Yeah. Because it's 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 easy. It's it's become easy, you know, if you got the right setup. Yeah, no, no, I, I I agree with that. I mean, you know, the I think that the bait the bait argument will be bait helps the little man, right? The guy that's got thirty acres next to the two thousand acre uh, managed hunting property that's got food plots and you know no pressure, and 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 the little guy that's got thirty acres, you know, he can put him out a corn pile and and he's got a chance then. So I think that'll that, that's maybe the devil's advocate um, side of the of the debate. Yeah, but but on the reverse side of that, it's the guy's got ten acres, thirty acres, and he can kill that buck on just what he. And, and then you're over here with, you know, one hundred and sixty, three hundred, a thousand, trying to manage deer, putting food plots in, and this guy has done no habitat work nothing to improve the deer hunting all he has is a feeder and a tree stand he's going to kill your deer and they're not your deer i mean but but you know what i'm saying it's like it, it I, I see both points and, and those are the people if they ban the baiting like you said the edge hunters and then it becomes well if i don't bait or if my neighbors bait i have to bait otherwise they they suck all the deer and they they absolutely do i mean before gun season i have to go out on some spots and keep some corn piles going or feeders full just to keep deer from leaving to get shot, you know, or at least level the playing field. And it's, and it's easier for the deer, right? I mean, the deer, they, they've got constant food. They don't have to go out yeah. and, and, and you know, th that can't be healthy. Right. Cause I mean, if they're hitting a corn pile every single night and, and then all of a sudden that corn is gone, I mean, they, they've lost some of their, you know, when it gets bitter, what, what do we do? Where do we go? How do we find food? I mean, we've had it, you know, the entire time. I mean, it, it's, it is definitely a debate and, and it, it, there are two sides to it. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see where it goes.
Yeah. And, and, but at the, at the end of the day, cliche, what, what is best for the deer herd? And that should just be up and foremost, not as what is convenient or best for, for somebody to, to shoot their big deer. It's like to, to, to keep this game going, to make everybody happy, what's best for the deer herd, you know, the deer. So they, so they're not just over harvested or, I mean, I mean, there's some properties just on the real estate thing. They ban baiting. I mean, there's some guys that have spent $2,000, $3,000 an acre over what it's really valued because it has big deer on it. So you take away the baiting, they, they can't grow food plots. They, it's like that land they bought just got devalued back to regular cow pasture prices. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, they're so I get that. That's where I think the lawsuits will come in. Like, I bought this recreational property based on big deer, and you just took that away, and now it's just a cattle pasture, and I can't grow a food plot to save my life. You're in some dry part of Kansas, and so it. it but it's like, uh, so start doing something, you know, plant some trees or, or whatever you can do to help improve your hunting. But, but yeah, and and. I, to be honest, I can't believe, and, I, and I, I read a little bit like the Livestock Association hasn't come in to, to, to really side with the banning baiting because there's so many farmers that are losing ag production and cattle pastures in the state of Kansas. And probably it's happened to other states too, to where they kick the cows off. Everybody hates cows. And I mean, that can't be good either, ultimately, in a, in a world that coexists with beef. And, and you, I mean, I, I, I'm sure there's a statistic out there of how many thousands of pasture ground that's lost to deer hunting in Kansas. And, and they're either going to get taxed more or, but, but again, I think those, the, the Livestock Association people would be banging on the door of, of banning baiting just to protect their, their asset, you know, and, and having ground to graze because people don't want it you know so yeah it, it is uh it is fascinating where where it's gone just in 15 years i mean just in 15 years um you know my, my my dad you know he 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 was an absolute beast of a woodsman he he doesn't know what a text cam is or or anything like that but he you know and he would kill a couple nice deer every year um it, it just the the Dude, my, my first my first 10 years of outfitting and and we could have baited we just didn't it was just like you just go hunt oh i saw this you know we would take video cameras and and that's how you documented your hunts but you just went you planned on hunting for a week or 10 days and you grinded it out and, you know, and then you got to make those split moment decisions. Is that a mature deer or, you know, whatever you want to harvest, but, but yeah, you didn't have inventory to where, you know, everything. So nothing's a surprise. And again, you can always have a surprise buck roll in, but, but you know what I'm saying? It's like that, that whole surprise factor is just gone and, and grinding it out. It, it's more of a, it's more of an, a, a plotted assassination than a hunt yeah yeah, yeah it, it's it's an execution you're executing a, a deer it's it's not really a hunt anymore 
Yeah. I, I have I have 80 acres behind my house. And last year I committed to, you know, I'm not going to run any bait. Um, I'm not going to run any cell cameras. I want to go back to how it was and just hunt. Now, I managed some ground in the area next to it. And those guys want to do their thing with bait and whatever. So it's like, I can't control that. But I can, you know, on stuff that I own. So it, it was interesting. I had some great hunts and I, and I loved it. And I, I just didn't know what was going on. Um, but I, I had a, a lot of four-year-olds strolling through back there. And it wasn't till one of the five-year-olds I was looking for, he might've been maybe six, but uh, until I put that corn pile out for gun season to help, you know, detour some of the neighboring pressure or at least level the playing field, then the big ones show up. <laughs> and I'm like, and I don't want to say big, but, but they were definitely the older ones I was looking for. Cause I had some really nice four-year-olds. A lot of people would have shot, but I just, wasn't going to do it and and one of those bucks he came in the one I was really looking for I had his sheds from the year before he came in on that pile didn't eat off of it looked at my camera and he was gone that and was then, yeah go ahead so so but, but uh, this is a long story but where I'm getting at is so then I got one other picture of him like late December, just again, supplemental feeding, late, gearing up for whatever, winter, um, wasn't really hunting. That deer showed up at 2 a.m., ate like for three minutes and left. So those are the only two pictures all year. I actually thought he got shot during gun season because I just, and I had cameras, uh, regular cameras that you check cards, not a lot of cell cameras out all over just to get in weird spots for trails and just to learn new stuff and never had a picture of that buck make a long story short i had two feeders and this is the property next to me with uh they were a quarter mile apart from each other ran them basically from from gun season and on and he never hit either one of those feeders and we were shed, shed hunting with my son and I find his shed. I pick it up. I'm like, oh, I, I found, you know, I really was, thought the deer was dead. I found his, his last year other side. And I went, wait a second, that's this year. And then I, I found his other set. And then I basically found three of his antlers within that quarter mile. So basically he was there all winter and never hit those feeders. Never, uh, he's avoiding the cameras. And you just got to think, man, Will, will the deer pass that genetic on and will they start wising up to the stuff? That's the other question, you know, like when will they know that a, a camera is danger or a corn pile? And, and some of those bucks are still out there far and few between, but that was, it was really refreshing to see a buck that smart again, you know, and avoiding the, the pressure. And that, that was something that I was going to ask you because you, you, how, how long have you outfitted? I mean, 20 something years? 22. Okay, 22 years. So you, and you're in Kansas, big buck state. You're in a great part of Kansas. You interact with big deer every single year for 20 something years, way more than the average guy, way more than the average hunter, way more than a serious hunter. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's part of your business. The big mature, five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half year old bucks. 
as a whole, not, not the odd flyer here and there, will they come to the corn in daylight? Um, yes. I, I think ultimately corn is king. Okay. Next. Now, next. That one book that I just told you about was an exception to the rule, but, but really if, if I would have been in that blind with a gun, you could have shot him. Yeah. Second day of gun season. But, but actually, I think there was a doe in heat, which is why he was there, which is the other reason. The does come to the corn pile, bringing the mature buck to get shot yep. you know, during the rut. And is there anything from a habitat, from a land perspective, or from your experience this synonymous or or something that tips you off to mature bucks. If 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 you were going into another part of Kansas based on everything that you've learned in day in, day out with these big deer, is there something in particular, one thing or multiple of things that you would look for? Yeah, I would say uh CRP native grasses is one. Okay. Like Everybody want, you know, when people call looking for deer land, they all want trees. And, you know, you know, as well as I do, all you need is cover about three feet tall, four feet tall to have deer. You don't need trees. And, and that CRP, to me, it just, you, deer can grow old with it. It's, it's the ultimate bedding. You know, they, they, they hide in it. They, timber you walk through, very rarely is a buck going to just crouch down and let you walk past him. CRP, and this is coming from the bird hunter of me, you jump up multiple deer in CRP fields that let you get within 10 yards till their breaking point, or they let you walk by. We were on a pheasant hunt one time, you know, doing what 20 yards apart, going through a thicket, uh, CRP, and a big buck, all the does were blowing out. The buck was crawling on his knees back through the drive. <laughs> I mean, he, you know what I mean? Like, and, and he knew, but like I said, that CRP, it, it, I don't know, four foot tall native grass. I mean, that stuff to me, if, if you got that in your, you know, next to your property or on your property, that they, the deer just, it, it's once it gets cool, they, they live in it. Now in the summer, you know, they, they want that shade and the timber, but, to me, that that's a key ingredient to some big whitetails. Yep. On top of the obvious stuff, food and pressure. Yeah. Yeah. So CRP, that, that's what you would look for. Yeah. And that's, you know, the conservation reserve program or just establishing your own native grasses. So big blue stem and stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Let's completely shift gears. Let's talk about Flint's buck and Flint's hunt. Guys, Flint is Chris's son. He is 16 now? Yeah, he is. 16. Man, he's growing up. He's, yeah, he, he's a sophomore. He's – I've pushed him. I, I wasn't one of those guys that held his, his hand up when he was three years old shooting deer with a crossbow. <laughs> I waited. I'm going to get waited. some hate mail on this crossbow stuff. I can, I can, I got some buddies that are crossbow hunters that are going to listen to this. And I know. I, don't know. I, I, I would be a total hypocrite with my kids. Crossbows were incredible and still are. I mean, heck Flint and Trinity both killed with crossbows last year. I mean, but, and again, it's uh, you know, they got sports and, you know, you can only go when you can go and you got to have something that 
that's an efficient killing weapon and that's what it is but um but back to flint so so yeah so he has he has some experience he's on the valley falls trap team so he's a wing shooter and he's shot a perfect 25 the other day which was pretty awesome but um but i i do think that gun handling on the trap team just side note for kids man it it gives your kid a world of maturity around firearms and shooting situations i mean if you think about it going in you know every other weekend or whenever they practice and handling them guns and it just transfers over to crossbows and there's been scenarios now where we're turkey hunting or whatever. I just know that he can make that shot, muzzleloader rifle. Yeah. Um, so so any, anytime you can get your kids around guns safely, it's just the more experienced, the better. Um, so, so I started him, I think he was eight when he shot his first buck. And, you know, we've done a lot of corn pile hunting out of blinds. Um, he, we, we started switching to some gun hunting just whenever I could get on any of the kids get older, the schedules get busier, but he, uh, this summer, I, I actually had a, a medical thing going on. I had a blood clot in my leg. So I was on a blood thinner and that's a whole nother story. I'm not going to get into everything's <laughs> good, good now for now, but it, you know, it's always a scary situation when you have a blood clot and, uh, I, uh, I, I needed, I was like, it's, I'm going to need you to be the muscle for me to, he's, I've seasoned him enough to hang trail cameras, um, stands we're working on, but you know, he, he, I want him to think like me, I need you to go put this, this camera out on the scrape or whatever on this corn pile and, and he knows what to do. And so this deer shows up on I had a picture of this deer last summer and I felt like okay this is where the deer summers and I let the deer go he, he was probably uh uh four and a half year old I think last year but you know well over 170s points going everywhere and I actually had uh my my recurve buddies coming in to hunt that area and just some other clients that were coming in to hunt too. And so I just was like, the deer's there. And I left, you know, I left the camera up. Um, you know, it, it was definitely a booner. And sure enough, uh, Rocky shows up, which is our, my recurve guy. And, and I don't know what he shot last year in that same area, but we still don't know if it was that deer. <laughs> but he cripples a buck and it, it looked very similar to, to this deer. Well, then the neighbor gets a picture of this deer late. And I'm like, and we didn't find rocks deer. And um, it's a confusing whole other story, but basically the neighbor had a deer, we knew he was alive. So this, this summer I went in, I put the camera in the same spot, see if this deer shows up. Sure enough, boom, he, he's there. I looked at Flint and I'm like, do you want to chase a big one? And he was all about it. I bet he was, yeah. He was all about it. He was like, and, and the deer was just impressive. So we put some, we put some corn out, had a mineral hole, and uh, the deer was just, I mean, we were in his bedroom, like right next to it, on the edge of a bean field, food, water, creek, secluded. And so I'm like, all right, it, it's strategy time. So 
I think he and I went over there. Man, it was uh, it was like after because because I couldn't do anything. I'm, I couldn't lift over twenty pounds, which is what got me the blood clot in the first place. And so I couldn't do it without him. Then he had football. You know, it's August, so we leave after practice. We go over there. I mean, who goes over somewhere at Deer Thirty to hang a stand? I'm like, we're just gonna blow it up. We'll see if you know. We'll see if the deer's around. And we go over there, we hang, I hang a double ladder stand and a, and a lone wolf to, to video out of. And it's, it's more for the youth season that was coming up Labor Day weekend. And basically we got in position, everything was set up. We're sawing, making noise, leave there. 40 minutes later, deer shows up on the cell camera. Like we were never there, you know? And I'm like, okay, so we didn't screw anything up that bad. So then opening day comes around 90 degrees. Um, the deer was not, he was not living on a corn pile. He didn't have to. I mean, beans, 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 beans. all the brows in the world they could ask for. It was lush there. And it's kind of funny because I was every time I drove in, I was looking at the bean field. I'm like, oh, we can cut across the beans here. So we park about a half mile away. And, and I, I kind of knew... He was betting on the east side of the farm. And, but there was beans always crossed to the west side of the farm, but we were just gonna blow that up, give that up, whatever. That's how I was gonna park, walk through. So we take, I'm like, let's take this shortcut through the beans. We start walking through the beans. And it felt like uh, a horror movie where the vines start grabbing your ankles. The beans were, they, they came up to my neck. And I was like, I had no idea they were that tall. Like it just didn't look that tall. So 90 degrees, checking through beans. And I'm like, this is, this is an issue. I mean, and plus I'm wearing compression socks because <laughs> of the blood clot. And I'm like, this is, this is hot, man. This is hot. <laughs> what are we 90 doing? Degrees, buddy. 90 degrees, buddy. I'm doing a workout now with compression socks on, sweating. And, and that's like the worst thing you could do. Anyway, so I get in the stand, I take my boots off. <laughs> I'm trying to cool my legs off and we're not in the stand 40 minutes. He's, he's getting his rifle ready. He's looking around and sure enough, I look over and I see the buck in the beans. But you had just walked through it. We, well, we didn't, we didn't walk through that part, but in front of us, a hundred yards away, I'm like, there he is. He's, he was bedded in the beans. He let us walk past him. But it was, you know, four foot tall beans. It's kind of like the CRP effect. You know, he's just going to lay there, even if he heard something or didn't. It was pretty south wind. We needed a south wind. And, but our, so that was our access. We get in there, the buck stands up, start, you could see, you could see he just shed his velvet like that night or that day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen the first night. And, and we're freaking out. All you can see is his, his rack. And then, it, and then it dawns on me that we're not, we're not going to get an ethical shot on this deer because the beans are just too darn tall. He starts moving, kind of quartering, like walk, or walking away from us through the beans. I actually ended up naming the deer Jaws so because it looked like a shark going through the waters. His rack was the dorsal fin. And um, so that was the joke. It was like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> and there he's going through the beans. And you're just watching a potential 200-inch deer just go right, walk right out of your life. And, and it's just getting, you had 30 minutes to dark. All it was broad daylight and he's going through and 
and I'm filming him and I'm like, this just ain't going to happen. And we literally let him, he, by the time he got to the other end of the field, it was 200 and like 10 yards. He, he, then you could see his head and a little bit of his neck. And I'm just thinking to myself, how many guys would throw a, a shot at that head and neck and that deer thinking they're never going to see that deer again of and, course, yeah. and do, do something stupid. But you know, obviously youth hunter and experience. I'm like, it's not even an option. We're not going to do it. Um, but we, we had the same scenario on a buck two years prior muzzleload season. We belly crawled through beans to stalk a buck. Same thing. We get up there 90 yards and we can't shoot them because the beans are too tall. So I, I was reliving that encounter. Buck walks out of our life that night. We slipped out of there. Um, he never even the corn pile is there, but we had some some big and J on it too. But he's not he's not even really interested in that. In fact, he wasn't even on the camera for two days. But I'm like, he lives there. We're going there, and and now we know why. He's just living in those beans. So the 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 pile helped keep inventory, but the beans and knowing where he lived in bed, like that's what it was all about. So we went back immediately into the next night, I don't know, thinking maybe he'll he'll breach the beans where we can shoot him. Didn't see him. Uh, I think we put in a total of eight sits on the deer. Youth season ran out. We saw him one other time during youth season. He come from the, the timber to the east into the beans and we had like a five second window for Flint to get on him and shoot him. But again, it just 220 yards. Yeah, um, it just, it just wasn't conducive. And by the time he was got in him, he dropped in the beans and it was sea of horns. Just, you know, you, you just couldn't, couldn't get another shot. So we had to drop down. There's a Creek behind us and slip out of there with him, like 170 yards from us. And so I, I truly believe the deer never knew he was getting hunted. You know, even though we were in and out of there all the time, it just, he never, we never got snorted, winded, everything was perfect. I ended up part of the strategy and said, remember, we learned a lesson of cutting across the bean field. I said, screw that. We drove around the beans. I said, you know what? I'm going to park the truck directly behind us along the edge of the beans. There's a slight hill. So that's like a, a block for other deer. So they don't come from behind us. Yeah. Let's let's blow this up. Let's make it known that deer don't want to be here because there's a human presence. But then everything else in front of us where we're hunting is where they want to be. So that was definitely uh, strategic, not just for an easier walk when it was hot, but it, it just helped out. But anyway, so so youth season ended. We had to switch to muzzleload season. So Flint was in school and I'm like, I got a, a CVA muzzleloader and it's, it's good to hundred yards. You know, it's not like some thousand yard muzzleloader or whatever. And I, I, so I went, I had to go back in, Flint was in school. And like I said, I, I had him busting butt on the first setup. I was feeling better, but he was, you know, running the saws, trimming, hauling everything. So I had to drop the ladder stand strategically in the back of my truck to where I didn't really have to use my legs. <laughs> and I picked a new tree up to get a, to pick the new tree out to get a hundred yard shot, basically across the bean field and to the pile, like whichever one the deer, the deer, you know, was gonna show himself. And we had another 
four and a half, maybe five and a half year old buck that was running around. It was a real nice, I'd say mid fifties deer with a small little draw time that anybody would have shot. But, you know, we just kind of kept our eye on the prize. Yep. But that deer was like, if you want to use a word of consistent, like he was owning it, you know, and, and the bigger deer, he would come in and out, but he was just more like living in the beans. So it was muzzleload season. We took a shot. I, I, I got a new stand location set up and it was our eighth sit. Again, it was 90 degrees. And, and I remember I was mentally broke. We went in there. Uh, hot again i'm sitting there in the stand my back started aching and i'm like dude this is <laughs> getting old remember and and it definitely part of it is because of the summer i had and not being able to, to to get your you know use the summertime to keep in shape for hunting season and but it, it was just it was you know a little humid that night and miserable and i'm just like man i'm, I'm starting to break you know <laughs> but he he wasn't and, and lo and behold, so he, here comes the buck. He, he breaches again. He comes out, this time out of the CRP. There's a little bit of, of, of native grass before it gets to timber. But straight across from us from the east, same type of pattern. Comes out. He's 150 yards. Walks into the beans. I'm like, we know this story, how it's yeah. going to Starts walking towards the beans, eating, eating. He's getting closer by now, but now the beans are starting to lose the leaves. So they're turning brown. It's, I think it was September uh, 18th, maybe. And um, I'm like, you know, I can see his back, Flint. Like, can you see him? You know, we're whispering. And he, he was a little, he was lower than me. I was standing up in a video stand and he, he still didn't feel comfortable with the shot. And again, it was 130 yards. I didn't, I didn't want to take that shot. And I'm like, man, how? And then all of a sudden that deer lifted his head up. Did, and he was going away from us and just did a 180 and decided he was going to start moving towards that pile and just starts beelining across the, be the beans in front of us. And I was starting to melt down like, oh my gosh, do I, you know, do I need to stop him? You know, and I'm like, what, 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 what are we going to do here? What, you know, Flint's just probably like, shut up. Yeah. I'm on them, just wait, you know? And, and so the deer, and, and now the last 30 yard stretch where he was walking, he's like visible. And I'm just like, holy crap, this is gonna happen. And, you know, he got to where he finally stopped and Flint just put it on him and I was videoing and he, he shoots him. You could tell the deer was hit, mule kick, <clears throat> looked like a perfect shot from the naked eye. And he, he, the deer ran about 30 yards back into the beans and just stood there. And I'm like, you know, you, you're kind of like, what the heck? And then he did the, the death tornado into the beans and, and it was celebratory then. So, Oh man, that is awesome. But it, the way it ended in, in the hunt, I mean, we earned it, you know, yes, there was a cell camera involved. Yes. There was some bait involved, but you learned a lot about the deer, the deer's habits, the way it went down, not taking a stupid shot. I mean, there were so many positives from that hunt and the reward was obviously just incredible. And the deer was just bigger. You know, it's just one of those like ground growage um, situations, but it, it was just a truly unbelievable experience. And to shoot him the first day, the first 30 minutes in the stand, I mean, obviously that's incredible, but you know how it is. 
Yeah, you, you work for it. And, and plus, you know, I, I've, I've driven your outfitting circuit with you. I mean, the work that you put in to yeah. keep everything going is, is monumental. And, you know, Flint was working his ass off, you know. Yes, yes. So he, yeah, he, he, he got he an opportunity. Yeah. He deserved it. Yeah, that, that's where I was going with that. And, Lucas, let, let's remember to uh, throw a picture up on the YouTube of this, of his buck. So, guys, if you're listening to this on, like, Spotify or one of the Apple things, you can go over and watch it on YouTube at the Mission Whitetail YouTube channel and see a picture of this deer. Well worth it. So we'll we'll throw that that picture up on the YouTube video. Um, yeah, just an incredible story. Well deserved. A kid that worked his tail off all summer, and you know killed a giant. And and you have not spoiled him. I mean, you know, no, no, he's killed his years. fair share of of cold bucks. Yeah, takes one for the team. And I did not. I did not want to be the, the dad that's like, you know, every year my kid's killing a booner or whatever. It, you know, I got to satisfy a lot of people. And so you got to spread it around. But this time it was his turn. And and like I said, it was well-deserved. And, and he's he's taken care of all the spots, all the feeders, all summer long. And and even he wasn't breaking. I mean, we, we got into the stand that night. I think it got dark around 8.15. And, you know, we're leaving football at six, like hauling butt, 20-minute drive. And, you know, it was just – he could have said, you know, I don't feel like going tonight. I just got my head kicked in. I mean, he's a linebacker and a, a tight end. And, and it just is like he was still focused. And, and you know, I was not pushing him at all. It was like, let's let's go. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's That's go. Awesome. That's so good. It, it is, man. You know, we, we've got listeners of, of all ages, guys with young sons, guys that are older, you know, in, in my experience with Jack, you know, do, doing the hunts with him. I mean, it's – and the things my dad did with me. I mean, it, it's all – man, it's – it's it, it really is the tradition and, and the family and, and, and getting the kids out and passing on what we really love to do. Yes, yes, it's – it is fun. I, I probably hunt more with my kids now than myself. We, we, well, I'd say that, I guess it, it's definitely a balance though. It's, it's a good balance, but, but back to the mature buck thing. I mean, I got eight hunts in on that deer to study his habits. So every time we went out, you, you learn. And I, I'm like, why is this deer here? And, you know, why is he bedding in the beans, you know, and, and, and you could tell the beans started turning. He relocated his bedding, but I don't think he had more than a 200, 250 yard circle, man. I, I don't think it's very big for those deer that time of year, especially when it's hot. And, and the creek behind us ended up going dry. I mean, we're on like, that was another motivation. It's like EHD, you know, well, let's go kill this deer before he dies because of the, the stupid drought. So it has been bad. In Kansas, it's still bad here, and I, I hear few reports popping up. Um, but it, just all those factors of studying that deer was was awesome because I think a guy could go like I got that figured out now. It's like everything's banked. Okay, this this is why he's doing this, and and you know he it, it's kind of an every other day thing, not every day for him, and. It just, you learn a lot about the deer when you can go out and put that kind of time in and, and figure it out. But I, I would feel confident that if I had a muzzleloader hunter, you know, we'll, we'll kill a deer here every year. This is in beans. We just got to figure out, you know, how, how the height of it. And then what's weird is it was a drought, but we still got enough rains that the crop was actually pretty good. 
you got the rain at the right time. Yeah, but there was no runoff. There was no filling the creeks and all that. So anyway, great hunt. Um, I don't have them officially scored, but I think we're going to. And I've, you know, there, there's a lot of questionable measurements that I just could go either way. So I, before I just throw in numbers out there, I'd kind of like to get somebody else's opinion on it. But it's it's flirting the, the benchmark, which is just a bonus. Um, but it's like, why not? Let's see where he's at. So I'm going to have officially scored by our local biologist, who's a Boone and Crockett score you know once it finishes the drying period and all that so awesome 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 that's great man congrats to flint heck of a buck he earned it good hunt another little pearl of wisdom to stack away you know you get another scenario like that and and that's the experience of going out and actually sitting and hunting and not relying solely on the on the text cams the cell cams yeah absolutely not like once and and i i was just down in oklahoma and it's like once you know, a, a good deer is in the area. It's like, you know, you're hunting there. Like, what, why, why do you have to have that reassurance of, you know, I could see maybe if you had it on trails and you wanted to know, but I can't tell you how many times guys have dictated their hunt off that camera and it's burned them instead of just going with your gut and just, you know, er keep the cameras out of your mind. But, but, but that, yeah. deer, that deer was not, he was not a everyday corn pile kill type deer. He was, he was a little different. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I was telling Lucas the other day, every morning I probably spend an hour to an hour and a half going through text cam photos. Yeah. You know, imagine what yours is like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but I honestly, I've, I got more this year than I've ever had, which still isn't, isn't probably enough. Um, I mean, I, I have enough. I actually, I, I kind of enjoyed my routes where you pull cards and check stuff. Cause it was always like a surprise, you know, again, back to the surprise, but, but I guess the surprise is you wake up in the morning, you're like, Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, right. that's exactly. What that's right. the new surprise. Look what just showed up now. But, um, but yeah, it, it definitely is a gas saver and a time saver, especially, you know, I'm spread out over five counties. So it's like, well, you, you heard, you drove it part of it with me. We call it running the gauntlet. Like, let's go yep. see what we got. So, and I'm getting ready to do that uh, this coming week. And, but it's not so much more enjoyable when it's not 90 degrees, when it feels deary out. So I'm looking forward. I got, I got a bunch of hunters coming in. Um, oh, the, the October 30th through you know the first week of november and it's it's going to be fun we got a lot of great deer showing up on camera i've got a few spots i'm concerned about with some some ehd kills but other than that i'm pretty impressed so far what's showing up on camera it seems to be a really good growing year anyways so good. lots of big ones showing up so that's yeah, i good. can't i can't wait to get out there i'm looking forward to it, it won't be long oh you're coming out here yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right let, all right like always on this we keep switching gears but we're, we're kind of on the technology thing and you you miss you mentioned something earlier about um rick and and traditional and recurve and rock um you know and and i've picked up i talked about this a little bit on the last podcast with adam um i, I picked up 
a recurve and I'm getting one built right now too. And I've, I've gotten infatuated with shooting that bow and learning to shoot it. There's so much to it. And it's a, it's a total game changer and it's, it's going kind of back in time, if you will. And, and I have found that to be alluring tell me, you and I talked a little bit about this the other day, those guys hunt different, right? They're, they're not sitting on corn piles. They, they are, t tell me or, or tell the guys listening, you know, th these recurve guys, how they're doing it, what, what they're doing that's different and, and kind of walk through that. And, and then we'll kind of wrap this thing up. I know we've been going for about an hour. Yeah. That what I notice about them and, and to their success is they, they come in peak rut and they plan on hunting all day. Like they, you know, so you got to have that kind of mentality. And then with the recurve, it's like, I only need to shoot 15 yards, maybe 20. So they're, I've hunted with them in Canada. I've got some of their setups and I'm sitting there going, I can shoot like 12 yards, <laughs> three directions. Like what, what good is that going to do me? Yeah. You know, and, but that's their mentality is that's all you need. My mentality is, well, I could have killed that deer that just went by at 30. You know, I need a lane here. And, and I like, you know, so it, but I'm telling you, they're into bucks. They get Kansas rut peak rut. You, you get, they get in the, the thickest, the thickest cover they can find and, and that's what they hunt, you know, that, that's huntable. Like if you got trees, but that seems to be the, their success and seat time to go with that, you know, like they're, they're out there all day. And I, you know, when guys want to book a hunt with me, I'm like, if you can't handle the 10 to two window and sitting, you know, the majority of the day, like do not come after the 10th of November. Yeah. If you're, if you're a two hour morning, two hour at night guy, you need to come uh, pre-rut or first week in November because it, that's what that's when you got to go during the rut but but we have the big ones just come out of the woodwork you know the 10th through the 20th of November and and it's but you got you got to plan to hunt but I think their strategy going back to that it's it's not high off the ground because they don't want steep angles and it, they also don't have crazy shooting lanes I mean it's it's very tight-knit stuff and quiet, quiet gear and clothing, you know, now, now Osseo decked out and they're, <laughs> they're just, uh, you know, like I said, they're just passionate about it and they practice and, and they try and get the close shots is which I think you need to have consistency of harvesting with the reaper. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of woodsmanship plays into that too, right? I mean, they're looking at pinch points and, and yes, yes. Funnels, you know, real yeah, when I say they get in the thickest cover, they're, they're hunting bedding areas. And I think that time of year, that that's what you got to do. A lot of guys are sitting on the edge of the field and they can see a hundred yards in one direction. And that's great for transition rut hunting and stuff, but you got to get into the, like the, the bedding areas and then figure out how to access them and, you know, where they're funneling through or sitting on a trail and the wind and all that. But th that's, that's where they're going. And, and, you know, th these deer in Kansas, they just don't like to break cover a whole lot. It seems like, so you, you want to be in the cover. So whatever that, that is. But. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, your hunt, Oklahoma, you killed a good one out there. 
Yeah, it's it's a different hunt. People always make fun of me. You're leaving Kansas to go hunt 130s in Oklahoma. And, uh, you know, I, and, and you can kill big deer down there. They got them. They're, they're killing some really hammered deer. I mean, but, and, and one of my uh, good friends, he's also a client, does a lot of real estate investing. He, he's got, I don't know, like 3,000 acres he manages now. And it's, it's the most target-rich, fun hunt you could go on. It's a great warm-up. And I just appreciate a change in scenery. And, and you know how it is. If it's home, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm still going to work. But if I leave, you know, you still got internet, I can work. But it's just different. I'm not – I'm a little bit more relaxed. So it's, it's a great – early October hunt, went down there, got, got on some mature bucks, but I, the spot I was hunting, the, a different mature buck was cycling through every night. There was no consistency in the area I was hunting, whether it was by water or feed. Um, so that was interesting. Like they're in their, their, they're starting to search phase. It looks like down there. And I saw a little buck starting to fight and get warmed up. So you can tell things are this cold front that's hitting now. I mean, it's, it's going to get interesting, but great hunt down there. I shot a really, I shot a six point, which I started thinking, I'm like, I don't know if I've ever shot a six point, but he, he was a really wide, big, mature six point. And I'm like, that's, that's all I could ask for on a hunt like that. You know, I don't need to shoot some giant. So it was, it was a great hunt. So. Yeah, that's good. Well, cool, man. We appreciate it as always. We'll do it again soon. And, um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to getting out there in the land of Oz and seeing what's, uh, what's around. Yeah, we need to get out to, to one of our little honey holes out west there and make sure everything's freshened up and see what's going on. Yeah, I'll get some text cameras out there and yeah. <laughs> my crossbow will be ready to go. That's it. That's it. Uh, all right, man. Appreciate it.